so many people are going to go and smell the dogs when they're listening to this. I mean, in reality, most Santa Cruz owners don't buy just one Santa Cruz and stop there, do they? Not that I go around smelling Shimano chains all the time. It might be 200 grams. It's the weight of a wet shoe. You said field of wheat, not field of weed, right? I don't think they do much of that up there. Hello, single track listeners. Mark here. You join us for another single track podcast. This week, I am joined by Chips. Hello. Uh, and Amanda. Hello. And we have a guest this week. We have Anthony de Havingham. He's one of our uh, long-standing contributors. We were trying to work out how to describe him in the in preamble to this podcast. He's an active trail advocate involved in a number of advocacy projects around the country. Is that right, Anthony? Yeah, started um, off with a trail association down in Bristol and now trying to get one up and running for our local area of Calderdale. So, yeah. Brilliant stuff. So he's going to join us this week to talk about some of the issues and talking points that we've all come armed with. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The first thing I'm going to bring up is we have, or we are in the middle of redesigning the uh, printed mag that's coming out in December. Isn't that right, Amanda? We are, yes. How's that going? It's going well Um, at this stage. If you asked me two weeks ago, I might not have been so positive. I probably wouldn't have been here. I certainly wouldn't have been positive. Um, But... Yeah, change is good. <laughs> change is good. Chips, you've been involved in this, obviously, because you're our editor at large when it comes to the print magazine. So um, what's what's your thoughts on the redesign so far? Uh, it's good. We're, we're basically trying to, um, I suppose, distill, distill the essence of the magazine so that uh, there's, there's less kind of flipping through going oh what's this feature i don't know what's what's going on and and going right here's a feature i want to sit down and and consume for the next 10 minutes and i want to pour over the pictures i want to read all the words because obviously as as the editor i'm always offended that everyone's like oh well i love the pictures uh so <laughs> so so it's it's a case just in terms of of content and uh uh and sort of presentation of of trying to uh, distill the magazine down so that it's uh, I don't know we've we've turned all the colours up not literally because that'd be bad uh, and uh, we've we've just kind of made it so that it's more single track. Well, that's brilliant. Isn't Essence all about how it smells as well? I mean, we have to point out actually it's not just a design um, upgrade, is it, Amanda? We've actually upgraded something else. We have, but. I don't feel I can comment on it yet because I've not had it in my hand yet. We're talking about the paper, right? We are talking about. <laughs> yeah. So we've held we've held a, a blank white sheet copy of what the new paper will be and managed to be excited about that. So with print on it, I'm sure it will be amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
we're, we're yeah. all we're we're all excited about it, and we've been you know single track's been doing this for twenty two years, knocking out print, and it's always really really exciting when a any issue comes out. We're always kind of really excited when it lands on the doorstep and everyone rushes and starts flicking through it and smelling it. I'm interested to know what the new paper's going to smell like. That's going to be the first thing I do. Yeah, I open think... it to the centre and stick my face into it. <laughs> the readers miss out on the uh, the decision making parts of you running around the office, going, "Close your eyes and smell that." <laughs> Put your hand out. Have... <laughs> Charlie is, is Charlie's really really keen that we should investigate smell o vision. I mean, uh, Chips, do you remember Warners once offered us that service, didn't they? They did, but they could only do a, a limited uh, number of smells. They could do, you know, strawberry or, or <laughs> you know, and basically anything where someone has synthesised the smell so much that it, it was, you know, available by the Lip tanker gloss. load. Yes. <laughs> Lip, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was for the cover, wasn't it? And, uh, oh, by the way, Warners is our printer, by the way, if, if no one gets that reference. Um, but yeah, we we kind of were saying to them, yeah, you've got about 100 smells there. Can you go and do something like WD-40 or something like that, or a smell of rubber? But those those weren't on the menu, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm not sure that would have been that appealing, really, would it? I've just actually written the column that will, will appear at some point about smells, um, just because smell is obviously the... The, the sort of strongest trigger sense that we have. And there are some things that, that whisk me right back to, you know, where I was 30 years ago or something, like opening cardboard boxes uh, with bike components in. They have a particular smell to them. Shimano chains. Yes. They have a, they have a unique smell, I find. I, not that I go around smelling Shimano chains all the time. Anthony, if there was a one smell that you could make our, our magazine smell of what do you think would be the most appropriate smell well i'm pretty sure pine fresh has got to be you know that that lovely sort of pine needle thing that's got to be a commercially available smell given its ubiquity in the hygiene industry yeah that plus a nice picture would be nice as long as it wasn't too lavatorial <laughs> that, that's the thing it's a fine line between uh alpine fresh vistas and cleaning the loo I don't agree. Sorry. I, I think out on the trails and on your bike, you've got all these outdoorsy smells, but the magazine is a baked goods, coffee, oh. bath, mm, bubble bath yeah. smell. I like what? So blueberry muffin. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> We've had two dogs on the cover, and I did think at those times. <laughs> no. Wet dog. <laughs> Wet dog smell. <laughs> no, puppy's paws. I bet popcorn's a popular one, and that's what puppy's paws smell like. Really? So many people are going to go smell their dogs when they listen yeah. to this. <laughs> paw, give us a paw. Right. Well, I, at this juncture, I'm going to do like that thing we do on podcasts, which is going to just break for a moment just to tell you about a bit of promotion that uh, is important to us. Um, this week, uh, Charlie... Charlie, who's not here, Charlie might be on the podcast next week, so he can he can uh, probably do this more justice. But I've got Charlie's notes here. Charlie's got a new membership offer, and he says, "Join us now and beat the price increase because at the end of this month, the prices of single track magazine memberships are actually going up. But if you get in now, you'll lock in your price for the next twelve months at the at the existing price. So, join us now, beat the price increase, and if you use this code, FreeBell04." That's FreeBell04. When you join us as a print or digital member, we will send you the rather amazing Timber Bell. We are massive fans of this bell as it can be locked off or turned on. This small cowbell will gently alert other trail users as you approach. Whilst this is great for trail harmony, it is also brilliant at keeping the trail clear and your speed up. The Timber Bell is worth £27.99 and it's free with an annual print membership at £39, but also the digital membership at only £20. Yes, £20 gets you a year of digital membership and a £27.99 bell. Simply use the special offer code FREEBELL04 at checkout. And then he's got brackets when so T's and C's cannot be used in conjunction with any other offers and that sort of stuff. So there we go. That's the promo for this week. Get in there. Uh, and uh, if you jo oh, the other really important thing is there's a cutoff another cutoff date of the 25th of November. That is the date that we process all of the uh, live subscriptions and send them through to our mailing house. So that means that if you join us after the 25th, you're not going to get the next issue. And the next issue is well worth getting. 
because chips it's not just a magazine this issue is it there's something else with it there is the uh traditional single track calendar absolutely how's that looking amanda you can't, well, you can't laughing, see the panic. <laughs> Just don't you, you remind me now it. that I need to make the calendar. You haven't forgotten it, have you? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> I've done the important bit, which is making sure all the photos are brilliant, which I did with Ross. Ross has yeah. input. Uh, yeah, the calendar's in the bag, definitely already finished that. I think the most important point of creating one of these calendars that you hang on the wall is to make sure that the hole goes in the right place. Isn't that right, Chips? Uh, yes. A, uh, a, another British mountain bike magazine uh, did famously come out with the uh, whole of their calendar, sheet-based calendar, um, on the wrong side so that uh, you could hang it up, but you couldn't actually open it. <laughs> it, it sounds like the sort of thing that we would have probably done, but we've managed to avoid doing that over the years, haven't we? we we've just done other things. Uh, we probably yes. haven't got time to go into all of them now, but uh, yes, there have been a... a I think a that's, a good, that's a good podcast episode, that. We'll go through all the mistakes that we've made. Oh, yes. Very long, it'll be a very long podcast. <laughs> yeah, we could have special guests. We could have props. <laughs> we could have... People yeah. with upset with our mistakes. Yeah. There's, right, we'll park that, we'll park that idea. Park that idea. Right, what I, I want to what I want to do now is I want to bring in Anthony. We're going to jump to Anthony now because <clears throat> in my notes here, and this made Anthony giggle. I've I've got latest shenanigans from the Scottish Access Forum conference. Is that um, what was the, it? The Scottish Mountain Bike Conference. So it's a bit more. Um, it's it's a bit more than access. It kind of covers everything. It's like the industry, um, what's going on with trail sensor developments, um, you know, what's going on with all sorts of really exciting initiatives in Scotland. And um, it's every two years, and I'm always really excited to go because they're just crushing it in terms of what they're doing for mountain biking up there. They're doing such a brilliant job, and it's a good example for the rest of the UK to look to. Yeah, I mean, Scotland is killing it and has been killing it for years, hasn't it? As a global sort of mountain bike player, it's often sort of ranked up there with places to ride bikes like, uh, you know, the slight, should we say the slightly more famous sort of BC and um, Canada and places like that? But they've, they've won awards, haven't they? World Awards for the Scottish trails, I think. Yeah, if you were going to go and ride your bike in the UK and you had to choose a country, you would probably have Scotland at the top. Wales second and England at the bottom. Oh, Chips is raising his hand. I think he's got an objection. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not a, uh, disagreeing at all. Uh, I was just uh, uh, wondering because Scotland famously has very liberal access laws, where you can basically ride your bike as long as you're not going through someone's garden or across a field full of wheat. Uh, you can ride your bike anywhere. So why does it need? You said field of wheat, not field of weed, right? I don't think they do much of that up there. <laughs> Is Scotland known for its fields of wheat? Well, uh, barley, a uh, which is used uh, heavily in the production of whiskey, so they definitely have some of that. So yeah. fields of barley, football fields, rugby pitches, and people's gardens. You can ride just about anywhere else as long as you're not causing sort of permanent damage so yeah. why why does it need trail associations well basically in scotland you're right they have a right of responsible access and um it's actually a little bit more mixed up there than we kind of see from the outside we go up there we go riding we're like this is fantastic i'm riding on the footpath it's brilliant it should be like this in the rest of the uk um, but in the context of riders building trails, which there's been quite a boom in, in recent years, it's created a bit of an issue because what happens is rider builds trail, other riders start riding trail, it gets on trail forks, Strava, whatever. And, and then for a landowner to then come along and close that trail and stop people riding on it um, is quite difficult under the Scottish Outdoor Access Code. You know, putting up fences around land is something that you do in very specific, limited circumstances. And it draws a lot of criticism because they're rightly proud of the right to access up there. So um, instead, what they're trying to do is work with riders to develop um, trails 
in the right place and sort of go, there's a time and a place for gnarly handcut stuff. And, um, you know, there needs to be a broader offering in this part of the country to um, um, put more stuff in for beginners. And yeah, really a big focus of this conference was what they're doing up in Aberdeenshire at the moment, which has loads of fantastic natural riding. But what they've done over the past few years is teamed up with a local really proactive trail association um, and as well as like local communities, communities in Scotland own forests and things like that. It's a really, you know, it's a really cool setup, someone coming from England. And um, yeah, the showpiece is a new trail centre that they're currently developing in Aberdeenshire that they've got a million pounds of investment for. And it's going to have loads and loads of really fun, flowy trails for all levels built in a kind of, you know, really attentive um, attention to detail, sort of um, um, the style you'd expect from a rider built trail. So, yeah, it's really exciting. They're doing some really amazing stuff up there. Cool. So is that is it is that all sort of? Um, I mean, you've, you've spun that as a really positive thing, but it sort of came out of a sort of a, an, an issue, which is that if trails you can ride anywhere, people are starting to um, create dig trails, and is that actually becoming an issue? Is it is it yeah, problematic? It's it's been a massive issue um, over the past few years. Um, particularly over lockdown, but even before then, they were having problems with riders building trails in inappropriate places. Um, they were building trails through forests where capercaillie are. There's like 500 breeding pairs of capercaillie in Scotland and things. They had riders building trails that exited onto roads and stuff like that with real sort of pressing safety issues. So, yeah, it's, it's an attempt to kind of get the riders on board and get some actual proactive management. I mean, part of the issue is... Forest and Land Scotland um, have a massive land holding. They are the biggest landholder in Scotland. Um, one stat that one of their staff mentioned was that more people visit the Scottish forest than visit the beach up there, um, which you can kind of, you know, I, I totally buy that. And yeah, they are spread very, very thin. And it's just trying to get riders engaged with actually managing this stuff and making them realise that they can actually um, sort of benefit from doing it as well. It's not just a case of getting them to do all the dirty work. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So, I mean, it, it's, it's quite clear that Scotland is a, shall we say, a, a forward-looking kind of place when it comes to mountain biking and access. And by contrast, England, I'm not going to get, I was going to say the rest of the UK, but it not include Wales because Wales has actually made some um, changes and some improvements, I guess, to mountain bike access. But England is kind of not on that in the same ballpark, is it really? Do you think there's any chance of that kind of slightly more liberal attitude of the in Scotland leaking down south into the UK, into the into England? Well, I hope against hope that that um, is what will happen gradually. Um, unfortunately, it seems like they're kind of responding to the explosion in trail building that's happened over lockdown by taking a bit of a harder line and they've not really sort of come out and made a formal announcement but for example at the conference we were asked to take part in an, a couple of workshops on trail development and one of them asked us to consider a zero tolerance policy to new unauthorized trails basically anything that looks like it's been built where someone stuck a spade in the ground even if it's just like raking out a berm or something um it looks like going forward 
they'll be much more inclined to remove that sort of stuff rather than just monitoring it and tolerating it. Right. So not great news for us down here, for us as southerners. It's, yeah, I mean, it's understandable in that there's been a lot of unauthorised trail development and in some areas it's kind of, you know, becoming a real problem just in terms of managing this whole network that's sprung up. You know, some some trail centres have way more unauthorised trail around them than there are actual miles of trail in, in the trail centre and that creates quite a big management headache for a landowner. Um, like I say, they don't have that many staff on the ground and they're also in quite an unusual position in that they are a crown body, so they self-insure. So they don't have an insurer underwriting potential liability claims. That all comes out of their operating budget. So it's it's really interesting. What it's meant that is that in terms of like the really kind of progressive sort of technical side of the sport, think downhill tracks, think like Revolution Bike Park, that sort of thing. It's all taking place on uh, forest on um, Forestry England. Um, natural resources Wales or forest and land Scotland land so their exposure is massive but they've got like really robust procedures in place to defend it but one of the things they have to do is really think carefully about like letting riders have a free hand over where to build so it does seem like they're taking a harder line interesting so um, just to finish off before we move on to something else um, you say this this event just remind me what it's called again Anthony the Scottish Mountain Bike Conference. <laughs> the Scottish Mountain Bike <laughs> Conference, right. So, Anthony, just to summarise, the, the Scottish Mountain Bike Conference happens at, every two years. Yeah. You've, you've been to several? Two, been to two now. COVID yeah. kind of got in the way of the last one. So just leaving that conference, uh, how optimistic, because sometimes you can leave these conferences uh, on, on these issues and be, feel pretty down and pessimistic about the future. How would you rate on your on, on a scale of say one to ten of optimism? With ten is super optimistic. When you I'd left, say, it, how did you feel? I'd say seven out of ten, slightly less glowy than I felt at uh, previous conferences, because basically this policy of sort of taking out any unauthorized trail in some areas of the country, it's really going to stymie any sort of trail development. You know, we're not getting massive grants from the European Union anymore to develop trails in rural areas and stuff. Riders are doing it themselves. And if their trails are just going to get knocked down, then um, that's going to kind of increase tensions, increase conflict and kind of drive it all underground and mitigate against the chance of getting this uh, working relationship that's happened so well in Scotland. And the other issue is it kind of, if you set up like a, a trail group, a trail association, you kind of become the mouthpiece or the bridge between riders and landowners. And it can be really difficult. You can sort of end up being backed into a corner trying to explain to the riding community why their trails have been removed and they've only got these boring ones to ride. And then that affects your volunteer base, the amount of enthusiasm and the amount of, the, you know, it, it eats a, a lot of your resources that you could put into developing trails. Mm. So... Yeah, I think we'll see how it transpires. My feeling is it's a bit of a backward step, albeit one I can kind of understand. Mm. So it's it's pol- politics then, right? Shall we leave that alone now and move on? <laughs> yeah, enough uh, politics. Yeah, Let's talk we, about we, riding bikes. We were so close. We were so close to saying the Brexit word in the middle of that as well. So I'm glad that didn't come out. To, oh, I yeah. just said it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I'm going to move on now to because uh, we always in the podcast I always want to try and reflect on something that we've published on the website in the last week just to you know as a bit of promo and trying to make sure our listeners all rush off to the website to go and see what good work we've done. Uh, this week, Benji published a review, and this got us talking in the office um, quite in response to the comments, and it was the Benji's review of an e-bike. It was the Trek e-fuel review. And it very quickly got an awful lot of comments. I think last count is well over 50. And um, most of them were commenting on the price of that bike. Uh, the the bike that, in fact, the price of the bike, I'm just going to say it now. When we got that bike, it was about 13,500 quid. Uh, by the time Ben reviewed it, it had gone up to 14,500. So in the space of literally, I think we'd had it for less than around about a month, the price had suddenly shot up to £14,500. Is that right, Amanda? Is that because Benji's ridden it? 
Is that, <laughs> and now it's worth 14 and yeah. a half dollars because yes the power that man's pro- got <laughs> absolutely who would celebrity want that bike after he'd ridden it yes <laughs> but no it, it i mean ben did start off his feature by saying ignore the price and he deliberately set the context of his review saying he wasn't going to comment on things that weren't available in the uh, the lower spec bikes so he ignored all the really top spec um, um, gear on it, all the, the the group sets and and everything else. He just concentrated mostly on how it handled and its um, and the motor and how that worked, in order to try and just get away from the fact that the the price of the bike was, it's, frankly, I mean we we can all agree astronomical. Um, however, I think that that range begins at something about around about the £6,000 mark. Now, I am not in any way, shape or form advocating that £6,000 for a bike is cheap, but it's certainly not at the extreme end of that £14,500 mark. However, inevitably, lots of people commented on the price and, and it got us all talking in the office. First of all, there's some uh, in response to some of the uh, feedback, I guess the listeners probably want to they probably detected a pattern with our reviews and i think chips you can answer this one is that why do we get such massively expensive bikes because this model in particular you've got to imagine that it's not the it's not going to be in the middle of the bell curve of where the sales are going to be it's right at the extreme end so why do we as reviewers in a magazine and it's not just us it's other magazines why do we get these really silly expensive bikes well as someone pointed out in the comments they said uh uh, Johnny Storm says, yeah, it's a daft price, but you aren't supposed to buy it. It's like an S-Works Levo, twice the price of a normal one, just to act as a halo and attract attention. Um, one of the reasons we get such fancy bikes is quite often we get the the first production bikes available and uh, the manufacturer will uh, make those top-end bikes first uh, in the same way that car manufacturers will, will have their fully um spec'd versions first because it shows what is available uh that um those top end bikes are probably already ordered by their you know diehard customers who want the latest bikes and they want the best bike uh and the so the manufacturer will have uh, a stock of those bikes first of all and those bikes will be used for promotions they'll be used as flagship store bikes they'll be used to send out to magazines and the reason that we get the the fancy bikes is because those bikes are the first ones generally made and then the low uh, runs will sort of trickle out over the next few weeks and months um and quite often they are they're built in a you know they'll be built perhaps in the in the factory rather than being built by a, a supplier who who builds bikes and we'll we'll get them because the manufacturer wants us to have the the best experience over of that bike they don't want us complaining about oh well the tires are a bit heavy or it'd be nice if there was a carbon bar and not an aluminium bar so we get the no one no complains f- about heavy tires anymore do they <laughs> we've all got our heads around that <laughs> <laughs> or uh OEM tires made of soap, which, which we have had, uh, we, you know, you, if you pick a bike from from the the bottom end of of the range, which we quite often do, if we can, then um, the, that's where compromises are made in the uh, in the specking of bikes. And mm-hmm. as I think we've said before, it's a bit like um, uh, specking a bike at, at a lower range is is mostly done on a spreadsheet so you if you want a more expensive rear derailleur you have to have cheaper tires and there's there's this sort of balancing you know mark has the analogy of uh of, of running our website uh as well uh of driving a submarine where you've got all these dials and things and you turn one down so you can turn another one up and it's only once you get sort of into the the more expensive bikes that the you're no longer constrained by the actual budget. You can be a bit more sort of creative in your spec. And so if you want the same frame to be more racy or more uh, down country or what have you, you've got the freedom to do that because you're no longer limited to the price of 
tires and derailleurs you you've got more of an open uh, sort of budget and a freer palette uh and so so we get these bikes because those are the ones that are made that are made first and because they're the ones that show off the bike but in, i mean the, the comments in there it, there's always and i think it's totally understandable that the readers would make these comments is that there is a perception i guess if in we as the media were getting for those reasons you've just outlined these super expensive bikes then there is a danger that the perception of mountain biking is that bikes are really crazy expensive and it's just getting ridiculous is that actually the case amanda what do you reckon i do think it's not just some bikes that are getting more expensive all bikes are but everything is getting more expensive yeah, I think all, all oh, things are getting. More I've not put too much thought into this. Well, yeah, I haven't put too much thought into this bike in particular. But on the why do we get the most expensive one? I see it as you can do a thorough review of the top spec and then say, so I did when I reviewed the Wilder, which is the Juliana's version of the Blur. It had full axis everything on it, and I reviewed it as it was and said but you could make it more affordable by not having this and this so we can do it two ways we could get the base model and say but it needs a longer dropper and the gearing's a bit cheesy and this and that Mm. or start at the top and say you know you could sacrifice this and this but i really think that this component's great um yeah yeah, generally everything's getting more expensive and Mm. you don't you don't need it's not that we're saying you need the most expensive it's you know within your budget read the reviews of those bikes yeah because some people can afford that and want to invest in the hobby you know life's a bit shit at the minute and if bikes are the only thing that's good in your life and you've got a load of money spend it on them (laughs) i'd just like to say i'm not one of those people i'm you know i've still (laughs) just got my steel hardtail but there are people out there that can afford to do it and (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, 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 last year I tested the uh, specialised S-Works uh, Levo and it was, I think the retail on that was 13500 and I rode that on some of my local trails and I got stopped by somebody at a gate and he said, oh. With yeah. a knife. With a knife. <laughs> he, was, he was also a mountain biker. Okay. He was going the opposite way. But he, he said, oh, he recognised the bike and he went, oh, that's, is that, are you from single track? Are you testing that bike? I said, yeah. He says, that's, is that really 13,500? I said, yeah, it is. And he, I remember him saying, he said, would you have it? And I just said, no, no, I wouldn't. I'd go all the way down. I'd have the the mid-range at 6,000. Yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. We're talking e-bikes here, so just a little context. And um, I said, I'd have the one that's half the price. It would be just as good for me. And I'd just, you know, if I had 13,000, I'd get the one that's half the price and then spend the rest of it taking it around the world on a holiday and riding it. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's important for us as media, I think, to try and counter that narrative that bikes are ridiculously expensive because we do have another one in the office at the moment, don't we, Amanda? We've got a Jamis in the office. Oh, yeah. You remember How much is that le- one? It's £1,800. £1,800, full suspension, really looks really good. And uh, There's we... a Vitus Escarp as well, which I've ridden the real base model one of. It was on sale for less than £1,000, and that was an amazing bike for the money. You mm. could like ride anything that you'd ride on a fancy bike on it because it had really good tyres, basically, <laughs> and decent brakes and serviceable suspension. And I, yeah, I, I think that's the thing. People... Um... Uh, as bikes have evolved, I guess mountain bikes have evolved over the last twenty, thirty years. The the top end has got higher, but the entry level bikes have have got so much better. If you think back to to what you would get for you know eight hundred pounds when I was starting out as a mountain biker, you could get a frame for that, or you could get um, you know you could get a bike with gears that kind of worked and tires that sort of punctured and a nice rigid fork and and steel frame and and it was great for the time uh and you look at now you know you go on go on mountain bike rides and 
no one stops because of a mechanical. There are no, I won't say there are no more punctures, but there are fewer punctures. There are fewer instances of chain suck where you have to break the chain to get the chain out from the front derailleur and the and the frame. And um, and there are just fewer examples of, of bikes wearing out and breaking on every ride. And we used to stop a couple of times every night ride back in the sort of early 2000s because someone had punctured or someone's you know super expensive lights had failed because they only lasted 45 minutes and now we've got these bikes you can hop on you don't really have to treat them you don't um you don't have to surgically take them apart and polish and refresh the grease in every component anymore entry level bikes are brilliant and the level at which you you go up is is your choice it's how much of the how much you perceive is worth upgrading or getting the next model up it's the same thing i'm going to say i think one of the things that we've moved away from that might help in 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 sort of the technology point of view and the reliability of the bikes is i think we were if we haven't completely moved away we are well on the way of moving away from the sort of the preoccupation with weight of a bike I think Anthony, you you said before about tires. You know, we don't really care about the weight of tires anymore. We just care that they function properly and they work really, really well. And uh, I've I've seen some of this feedback from from on the forum of people saying, "But why does it weigh so much?" And and I, I guess our answer in the office is because the weight doesn't really matter that much anymore. It's more about reliability and 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 rideability these days. Is that so- kind of something we can all get behind? Should we just stop publishing the weight of things? If someone says, what does it weigh? Ask them why. <laughs> why? <laughs> I don't know. It's an interesting one, isn't it? The whole weight of weight of bikes. It's no longer that. Well, was the, there's a website, couldn't there? I should check on the whether it still exists. Weight that tells us the answer to this. Weight weenies. <laughs> Probably still around because some people do care about that kind of stuff in the same way that some people care about the you know the reach to to the millimeter and the head angle to the half a degree um as and i'm sort of you know old school enough that you know weight was the thing when when all our bikes weighed 30 pounds and they had no suspension and now they weigh 30 pounds but they've got all the gears and they've got all the suspension uh and you can actually ride them up and down a, a lot more terrain than you used to be able to the older bikes um, but I was having a, a a conversation with Ross in the office, uh, Ross of this parish in the office, who is um, far more uh, uh, rad and down country than me. And we were talking about the difference between, you know, a Fox 34 and a Fox 36 and a Fox 36 and a Fox 38. And, and Ross was saying, well, the difference between those two models in terms of the benefit you get from steering precision and and just sort of ability to smash into rocks he said it's a wet shoe <laughs> it's you know it might be it might be 200 grams it's it's the weight of a wet shoe you know when when did you last sort of stand yourself in your riding gear on the scales and think have i paired myself and my riding gear down to the absolute minimum to be able to worry about the difference between an XT and an XTR pedal weight, you know, do, does that really matter? <clears throat> and when I, I interviewed Tracy Mosley once uh, at the end of an endurance enduro race, and I got her to uh, put out all of her backpack contents on the table, and it was quite a big table, and she filled it because she had spare pivots for her bike, and she had uh, a tool and a spare multi-tool in case the first one broke, just because it was it had to be... A reliable setup but then as she was getting towards the bottom of the of her bag she was like oh there's there's a 250 gram bag of fruit and nut that i didn't realize i had so she was carrying 250 grams worth of unknown snacks that around her for this entire 50k enduro race that she didn't even know she had and and i think a lot of us uh have made that mistake of of going oh well i need a jacket and oh i need maybe i need a gilet too and and then some arm warmers and and i need my tool and i need a pump and i need a co2 in case that doesn't work and then i need a spare co2 and i need and then you've you've got 
you know an eight kilo rucksack and you're worrying about your 1200 gram tires yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it amanda can i just add my version of tracy mosley's fruit and nut i did the curatory 10 with a backpack on just so i could have a hydration pack but i didn't check through it and i'd found some nice rocks when i was in the isle of man And there is a picture of me looking at these rocks in disbelief because I'd peddled them around for 10 hours. They're not big. You know, they were the size of a rock that you'd want to paint. Um. <laughs> did you podium in that event? Yeah. You did? Yeah. Was, were you first? Were you first? Uh, we, I can't remember what year this was. No, I think I was second this one. Yeah, I came. The so the, the first year I did it, I was on the... The top spec Santa Cruz Blur. And the second year, I was on a Vetus Rapide that is three and a bit thousand pound. Um, With a bag full of rocks. And I had a, I had a way better time on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I carried some rocks around. Yeah, you think the suspension was all planted and, and supple? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Chris Porter's straps led to the down tubes of his bikes to make them descend better. Maybe that's what you were doing with your rocks. (laughs) I think also when you kind of laser in on one thing, like value as the sole good measure of what a bike is, then you lose a lot of other stuff as well. It's like the biggest um, how much response I've had recently was a review of a Santa Cruz, which was, yeah, it was a hard value proposition um, as a bike. But also, if you look at Santa Cruz as a company, um, they do a lot of stuff around trail advocacy, that again, and um, um, things like, you know, lifetime warranties on their bikes. Um, They're just generally a brand that really look after their riders and things. And if you buy a a really kind of like, how have they done that for how much money direct sales type bike, you may not get that same level of support or peace of mind as well. So... It's there's more to life than just the race to the bottom, basically. Yeah. yeah. There's um a bit of the buy is it buy cheap, buy twice? Something like that. There is a term for it, but I think a yeah. lot of people don't consider with something like Santa Cruz how long it's gonna last them. And also, if you do manage to get one to the point of needing to say change the frame bearings, it's actually a nice job to do on those. You don't dread working on a Santa Cruz. So mm. the price isn't, it's not so black and white. It's the, you know, the amount of engineering that's gone into. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in reality, most Santa Cruz owners don't buy just one Santa Cruz and stop there, do they? But, um, it's no, like, there's a reason they, really they, nice, they stick you know, with them. Still, Are you yeah. stereotyping Santa Cruz owners there, Anthony? I'm observation-based facts. <laughs> 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 so chip you know that, that that's a, a the the famous keith bontrager cheap light strong pick any two does that still apply i'm just trying to work out now uh <laughs> and we're not and we're talking bikes not kind of cheese or anything or... i don't know does it apply to cheese i, I guess it does know. doesn't it uh, can cheap you light he- strong cheese i don't know anyway um, yeah. a lot of uh, Cheaper bikes are kind of a bit lighter than their more expensive counterparts because they'll have like 32 mil forks instead of 36 ones, that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, it's, it isn't just about um, the, the spec on paper. I think they're, um, where possible, the bikes are designed as, as, a, as a sort of as a whole uh, with quite often they'll use the same frame. But, you know, as I said, there's, there's room to take them more lighter cross country heavier downhill you can have a uh, a more expensive enduro version of the same bike and it'll be heavier because the there's there's a different use going on but going back to your question um i really don't know anymore i'm i'm going to have to start looking at at everything coming out going oh well you know oh maybe the, maybe there's an editorial there for you chips yeah and the yeah, the good thing apply? is that it's it's rare to see things fail these days, which is uh, very reassuring. Um, it did used to be that by the by the side of every mountain bike race you went to in the late nineties, there would be, you know, a, a a crying man with a broken bike, uh, or or a 
crank stuck in in his calf muscle or uh, um, you know folded wheels there there aren't really that you know there's not that trail of devastation that you get at uh you used to get at races and certainly a lot of riders uh, you know can can ride out whatever you know damage they've got it it is rare to see things that snap in half without severe provocation so i think from that point of view we've we've moved on really you know great deal in that and that's all built into that you know the the weight and the expense of modern bikes um you know it used to there were all sorts of kind of uh not quite cowboy but sort of uh blue sky thought uh innovative uh approaches to frame design and you know um material use in the old days and there that is now a lot more scientific uh even you know going down to the to the cheaper models and going back to Keith Bontrager uh he was I I was riding with him once and he had the sort of bog standard you know chunky aluminium stem and chunky aluminium bars uh when the when Trek came out had just come out with a carbon fiber bar and a carbon fiber stem with his name on and I'm sure he could probably get one if he asked nicely and I said, well, why aren't you riding the super cool carbon fiber stuff? And he said, well, the thing is, we'll, we'll sell 50 of those, but we'll sell 2 million bikes with this handlebar and stem on. If that stem snaps, then, then that's a big problem that uh, we'll need, you know, will cause the company all sorts of heartache. Whereas the sort of, super high-end stuff that's you know it's all been tested and it's all strong and and that that'll be fine but we're really not going to sell many of those the thing that needs day-to-day testing is the cheap stuff because that's the thing that you'll get the biggest number of inexperienced riders on who are going to you know drop their bikes fall off crash uh, they're not just clipping in racing for four hours and then unclipping and then putting their bike back in the humidor they're going to be leaving the bike outside. They're going to be riding to the shops with stuff on the handlebars. That's that's where you want the reliability. And that's the most important place for a company to have that reliability story. And so that's why cheaper bikes are, are you know, are so much better now because they have to be because they, they just sell in far bigger numbers. Yeah, that, that, that's, I think that rounds it all up very nicely i think uh, what we solved here we've, we've explained why we get really silly expensive bikes uh we've do i think we need to probably as media try to make sure that we don't reinforce the perception that bikes are really stupidly expensive all the time it's difficult because that's what the manufacturers send us and often we don't have the choice and we do ask for cheaper bikes quite often and uh, quite often we're we're presented with the response of yeah we don't have any of those in the press fleet but we've got this really top of the line one that we want to send you so some it's a tricky situation for us to be in uh but i hope everybody out there understands that um that uh, we're the, the, the silly expensive bikes are not always the ones that we uh, we we seek. No, we suffer for our art, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and quite often, those those expensive bikes they they will be built up um, quite often by the uh, by the the sort of manufacturers mechanics in the marketing department to make sure they work perfectly. They get sent to us, we review them. That bike will then get recalled and take and go into either go to another magazine quite often we send bikes between each other at the magazines uh and then eventually it'll become either a flagship store demo bike or a roving demo fleet test bike whereas the cheaper bikes the manufacturer is going to basically have to take one off sale going to have to sort of it was in the warehouse and it was due to be sent to a bike shop to be sold and we'll have to they'll have to take it back so that we can test the bottom end bike or the mid-range bike uh whereas yeah we're keeping the affordable ones available for you that's That's right that's see (laughs) that's what i'm hearing we're suffering (laughs) 
Oh, can you hear the sounds of violins? We're doing it for you, right readers. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I think we'll round this episode up there. And uh, so just to finish off before we all say goodbye, I just want to remind everybody about that 25th of November subscription membership cut-off date. And don't forget that the price of membership is increasing for new subscribers from the 30th. So get in before those dates preferably before the 25th, and then you can get the Christmas issue that has the free calendar. And the last thing I'm going to point out is that if you're listening to this podcast, there is no excuse for you not to also be signed up to our weekly newsletter, which uh, features lots of editorial from the team. Um, it's not just a list of links. It's uh, There's some really good opinions and stuff that go in there, links to good deals and offers from our merch store, and if you're not getting that in your inbox, then head over to singletrackworld.com forward slash newsletter and get yourself signed up today. So on that note, that's where we'll say goodbye. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Him. It's goodbye from them. And me. <laughs> We've got to work on the sign off properly. <laughs> this is pathetic every week, isn't it? Never mind. Right, join us next week, everybody, for another single track podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.